Our Bible reading this morning is the first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, and we're going to read from verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 11. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, just as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Wonderful. Well, good good morning, and a big welcome to HT, if this is your first time. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name's Stuart, and I'm very excited. We're we're continuing our series. Um, We've been doing in the morning, we've been looking at where hope comes from, and we're in the last of that series, and we're going to be looking at this passage, and we're going to be looking at the topic of Jesus' return. So I hope you're on board for that. <laughs> Great. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, Jana, my wife, and I uh, watched the film Jumanji. Um, not the older, old, old film Jumanji, but the sort of newer one. It's called Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. I can see that some of you already are switching off. Uh, maybe not your kind of film. 6.9 on IMDb. Don't know what your threshold is. I'll watch anything over about six. Um, lower if it's an action film. Um, yeah, it's a pretty average film, but it's really interesting. The, 
the, pre the premise of the film is this. Um, four friends, or sort of friends, uh, are playing a video game when they get sucked into the game. And um, they end up sort of being landing in a jungle, and they all take on these larger-than-life characters. Um, and it turns out that they have to play this adventure game and win it to, to get out of the game, back into real life. And so they have to take on all these crazy challenges, uh, all these monsters in the jungle, all these dangerous enemies, and they have to, play, they have to win uh, the game to, to get out. And uh, it's quite an interesting film. The first, the first uh, at the beginning, the, the characters are full of adventure, full of courage, really gung-ho about it, and they just throw themselves at these challenges um, because every time they, they die, they seem to come back. And uh, you know, so they're like, right, great, we'll just go for it. But then the film... Uh, changes slightly uh, about halfway through the, the whole tone of the film changes when after a few mishaps and they all lose a few lives um, the characters begin to work out that actually they don't have infinite lives that actually uh, if they lose all of their lives in the game then they don't come back that's it and in the middle of the film you get to this interesting interesting point where a lot of them are on one life left. They've got one life. And a certain irony sets in over the film. Because when the characters realize they've only got one life, when they realize that they can actually lose, they stop playing to win. Because they're afraid of losing their one life, they uh, stop playing to win the game and to win their life back. They, they become protective. They become um, they kind of withdraw because it's too dangerous to risk what they have even for what is being held out for them. And I mention this by way of introduction uh, because I think that we can very much be like that. If we have our eyes just set on just the life in front of us, if we can only think in terms of, only hope in terms of the next 20, 40, 60 years. If we think that's it, and once, once we die, that's it, then I think it robs us of living life to win, uh, of, of, of living life with abandon, and certainly living a life that is all out, wholehearted for Jesus, because it's just too costly. The risk is just too high. If we only have one life, our tendency, even if we know we should be living in a different way, is to sort of withdraw, retreat, and guard what we have. But this morning, we are talking about the hope that Christians have of Jesus' return. And that is a hope that totally changes everything. And I hope you will help, help us see that it's a hope that sets us free to live life to the full, live life to win. So let's, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for um, the encouragement that's here. And we pray that as we look at this topic and we look, look at this passage, that you would encourage us like the Thessalonians were encouraged. You'd be um, rebuilding our horizons so that we might better live for you. Amen. Great. So, um, Jesus' return. Um, 
As try as I might, I have not been able to find very many personal stories of this event. I've gone reading Christian autobiographies, all kinds of things. There are not many accounts of uh, this happening that I'm going to draw on. So uh, I say that just by sort of way of an obvious point, which is that this hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and, um, you know, if we're going to draw hope from uh, the fact of Jesus' return, the first thing we have to do is turn to the scriptures and, uh, uh, and build, build a picture of the facts. Uh, we really wouldn't know anything about what the, well, we wouldn't know this would be happening at all. We wouldn't know anything about it if it wasn't for what Jesus had said, if it wasn't what, for what uh, God has said in his word. So the first order of the day today is going to be just getting some of our facts straight about Jesus' return. So I've got four facts for us, and then we're going to look at how we draw hope for them. The first and most obvious fact on this topic is very obvious. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Paul mentions it directly twice in our passage. He says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He says, uh, those who are left until the coming of the Lord. And he is emphatic here, actually. He, he, he thinks it's really important to tell us that this isn't something he made up. This isn't just his own idea. He says, according to the Lord's own word. As in, you know, he told us himself. I'm just telling you what he himself talked about. And he's right, large portions of the Gospels are on this topic. There are whole chapters of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is just talking about his return and how we should prepare for it. One day, Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. And he's coming back here. He's coming back here. And I think that's worth saying. He's coming back to earth. He's coming back, if you like, to Cambridge some of us kind of have the return of Jesus in our, in our kind of outer sphere of thinking, but we think of it very much as a sort of symbolic thing or maybe in a sort of spiritual experience that's going to happen sometime after we die somewhere else than here. But that is not how the scriptures talk about Jesus' return. It, it, he is coming back here. It will be visible. It will be earthly. It will be historic. I think there's going to be a day one day uh, when uh, professors of world history uh, are going to draw a new line in the history books. There's going to be a new, t a new line down the, down the timeline of Earth's history. You know, there's going to be Attila the Hun, and there's going to be uh, the Roman Empire, and the pyramids, not in that order. Um, and then there's going to be Tony Blair, and then there's going to be... Um, there's going to be a new line that goes through history, and it's going to be marked on one side, uh, B-R-C, before the return of Christ, and on the other side, it's going to be A-R-C, after the return of Christ. It is going to be something that we see. It's going to be the most significant epoch change of all, of all time, but it's going to happen, and it's going to happen here. And here's the thing to remember Jesus' earthly ministry isn't finished yet. Jesus' ministry here on earth isn't finished yet. It's, it's, it's easy to think that, especially if we've been around church for a while. You know, we've got Christmas. We celebrate him coming as a baby. We've got Easter. We celebrate him dying and rising again, and we get excited about that. And we've got sort of Ascension Day. We sort of celebrate that he, he ascended. We don't have a, like, 
he's coming back day. I mean, I spoke to Jana about this, and she just reminded me it's because it hasn't happened yet, so we don't have a day to commemorate it. But I think we should have one, because it's so easy for us to just think. It's like, well, that was it. He came, he went, and now that's the end of his ministry here. And it's kind of just up to us, and we just get on with it, and maybe one day we'll see Jesus again somewhere in heaven, wherever that is. That is not the way Jesus, and it's not the way the Scriptures talk about his ministry. His earthly ministry is not finished yet. It is a two-part act, and we are in the interval. We are waiting for part two. At the beginning of Thessalonians, at the end, um, uh, he, he says to them, you have turned to God, and you serve him, and wait for his son to come from heaven. He describes the posture of the early church waiting. He's promised to come back to finish what he started. When would this happen? Well, we don't know, and we're not meant to know. Paul says, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, because you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And that's a, a, a picture, a metaphor that Jesus used uh, you know, you won't know when, when I'm coming, but be ready. Be ready. And uh, Paul talks about being ready in this passage. So we don't know when, but we know that it will come. More certain than uh, I will get up tomorrow morning, that you will have breakfast tomorrow morning. Um, it, there will be a day when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. And we won't miss it. Uh, he, Paul here describes it, he's using Old Testament pictures, but a loud trumpet call and an archangel, and it, it's, we will not miss it. It's going to be clear. So that's fact number one. Some of us maybe just need to think about, because we haven't really ever thought about the fact that Jesus is coming back. Fact two, when Jesus come, comes back, death will be defeated. Death will finally be defeated. I don't want to say too much about this because it was the topic of both our last Sunday's talk and Tuesday's talk at our student night, so we've talked about it a bit. But at the same time, we really can't skip over this. I mean, why would we want to skip over this? And apart from anything else, what's the point in getting excited about Jesus returning if you're not going to be there when he comes? So this really matters. Jesus is on record in John's Gospel as saying, this, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. That's his promise. And that is exactly what Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of here. They're, they're getting a bit worried. They're getting a bit confused. They expected Jesus to come back, but he hadn't come back yet. Um, and some of the church family were, had died. And they were like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean they miss out on, on the return of Jesus? And, and Paul says, no, no, no. Remember, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who died in him. Paul doesn't say that death doesn't matter. Paul doesn't say that we shouldn't grieve at all. He just reminds them that there is hope. Because of the resurrection when Jesus returns. And Jerry begged me, begged me last week, um, put it really well. He said that the promise of resurrection is not 
just the promise of surviving after death, surviving death, a bit like a a black box survives a plane crash, you know, kind of like when the body dies, we'll kind of go on in some sort of subhuman, soul-like black existence. No, the promise of Jesus is so much more concrete than that, so much more hopeful than that, which is this, it's this, that on the day Jesus returns, those of us who have entrusted ourselves to him will receive new bodies like Jesus's resurrection body, the same yet transformed, physical yet spiritual, human yet full of God's power. And it won't just be the reversal of death, it will be the defeat of death completely. Jesus began that with his resurrection, he will finish it with his return. When he defeats death, finally, we're told in Revelation that at his coming there will be no more death, crying or mourning. That hasn't happened yet, but it will when he returns. Fact number two, when Jesus returns, death will finally be defeated. Fact number three, when Jesus returns, justice will be done. When Jesus returns, justice will be done. And if it's possible, I want to show us just a uh, one-minute clip from the film The Laundromat, um, which is a pretty average film, actually. But um, it's about a, a lady who uh, loses everything, really, because of financial fraud. And she goes on this investigation to try and find uh, and, and, uh, what's going on. And she just reaches a dead end. And um, she just has this moment where she's praying. And it, you don't need to know much about the film to just get the gist of it. It's really powerful. Let's go for it. I don't know. I, I just find that it just captures so much of what we, when we look out in the world and we see that the world just cries out for justice. We look at our own lives sometimes and we think, you know, where is, where, when is this going to be put right? You know, when will the meek inherit the earth? When will justice be done? And actually we find it isn't just us. It, it, Jesus' own teachings, if you go and read Jesus' teachings, they don't make sense unless there's justice, unless there's a day when justice is done. So it, we've got the same question as Meryl Streep. What, when will this happen? When will, when will what you say be true, Lord Jesus? In, in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, just over the page, he writes this. God is just. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled. This will happen when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. This will happen when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven. As we've said already, Jesus' earthly ministry hasn't finished yet. It's a two-part act, and we're waiting for part two. And the two, the two parts are going to be different. The first time Jesus came, he came in humility, he came in relative obscurity into, you know, we're going to hear the Christmas story soon, into a stable. And he came, according to his own word, not to condemn the world, but to save it. He came to die for us, that those who would receive his, his offer of forgiveness might not suffer wrath, but receive salvation in him. That's what Paul says. That's why he came to die, that we wouldn't suffer wrath, but have salvation when Jesus came the first time, he came in patience. He came in mercy. Now is the time 
of patience. Now is the time of mercy. But he will come again, we're told. And that time will be different to the first time. The first time he came, he came riding on a donkey, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of peace. In Revelation, he's pictured riding on a war horse. This time he, last time he came in obscurity, this time he'll come, he'll be visible to everyone. Before he came in weakness, but now he will come in power. And this will be the time of his justice. First of all, we're told he will come to judge justly. There will be a day where he puts right what was wrong. If you were here at any of our recent baptism services, you would have uh, heard us say the creed together. And it's one of the last lines of the creed. It's, It's a core part of what Christians believe. He will return to judge the living and the dead. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everything will be brought out into the open. You know, what, what goes, in, goes on in Panama will not stay in Panama. That's the good news for the character that Meryl Streep play, plays in that, uh, in that film. Everyone will receive their due. No one will get away with anything, big or small. And no one will lose out on anything that they're due either. Ultimately, though, we know that this is a day in which we will be judged for where we stand in relationship with Jesus. Because on the day that everything is revealed, none of us will stand on our own two feet and present a life that that will come clean before God. All of us will need his mercy. Paul makes that really clear in 1 and 2 Thessalonians when he's talking about Jesus' return. Because ultimately, what matters most in the time of Jesus' justice will be what we did in the time of his patience and what we did with the offer of his mercy whether we we took this time to accept his life given for us, the peace he offers us now. Jesus will come to judge justly. But secondly, Jesus will come to establish justice on the earth. He comes to establish justice. Isaiah 43 prophesies about the coming of God's Messiah, and it's about Jesus, and it, it says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Till he establishes justice on earth. That hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. We are going to read Christmas readings. If you come to any carol services, you'll hear them. You know, you know, and they will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And the, the, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will rule with justice. That hasn't happened yet. He rules in heaven, but he has not yet come and established his rule visibly on earth. Jesus' justice when he comes, it's not just going to be like the end of human history, like an exam at the end of your degree. It's like you do all the, all the work, and then at the end, they give you an exam, and then they just tot it all up and just see how you just get a mark. There you go. 
there's your, your life just in a, in a number. It's not going to be just like that, the end of human history. It's going to be the beginning of the rest of history with Jesus as king. God has not given up on his world, the world that he made and the way he made it. He intends to set it right. Peter writes in two, his second letter, but we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth as he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. When Jesus returns, he will raise us to take part in a world that he is going to set right and establish justice in. We are quite literally waiting for a new world and a new world order. And, uh, you know, we, we only have glimpses of what that's going to be like. But I think it's going to be like this world, filled with God's presence and set right. I think there's going to be work except it isn't going to burden us. It's going to be uh, a way of serving God and serving one another. I think there's going to be an economy, but it's going to be built on the knowledge that everything good comes from God and of generosity. I think there's going to be government, but it's going to be founded on truth. Uh, there's, I think there's going to be relationships and friendships, but I think they're, not, they're, going to be, they're going to be of intimacy and honesty, and they're not going to break down on us. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he's going to establish justice. final fact about Jesus' return. When Jesus returns, we will be with him forever. When Jesus returns, we will be with him forever. Every time the Bible pictures this new creation, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it's Jesus or, or, or other writers, every time we see a picture of this new creation, this new age, God is at the middle of it. His presence is at the middle of it. The picture we get at the end of Revelation, chapter 21, there's lots of images going on. We don't quite know what they mean, but the message is loud and clear. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Paul was really, really excited about this. I don't know whether you picked it up in the passage. He mentions it twice. We will be with him forever. Chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 10, he says it. And you might have thought that, you know, there are so many other things for Paul to get excited about. I mean, he really got, you know, he got the thin end of the wedge when it came to, like, uh, serving Jesus. He was, his body was battered from being whipped, from being stoned, from, de- you know, he, he might have been looking forward to the resurrection body. You know, I think he would be like, wow, okay, that's awesome. Or, um, you know, he worked his guts out. He, was, he just lived his life flat out for Jesus. He, he might have been excited about rest, a bit of rest, on the other side, he might have been excited about reward. You know, he'd done given so much. He might have been, yes, I can't wait for my reward. He was excited about that. He might have been excited about justice. He might have been excited about, uh, uh, you know, the world recognizing the person who he'd come to declare. And he was excited about that. But you know the thing? In his letters that he seems most consistently excited about, again and again he goes on about, is that he cannot wait to see his Lord face to face. He cannot wait to be with Jesus. He cannot wait to, to, to be in the presence of God with, no, with, no, <laughs> with no, nothing hidden in the glory and the presence of God. In Philippians chapter 1, he writes this, and I paraphrase slightly. Which is the better choice? 
to live and continue to serve Christ here or to die? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I know it is more necessary for now that I remain and serve. But to be honest, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I can't wait to be with Christ. That is going to be better by far. One day when Jesus returns, we're not going to live by faith anymore. We will live by sight. We'll not pray just kind of trusting that God hears us. We will speak to him face to face. We'll not kind of have to just remind ourselves that God loves us. We will sit on his knee. We will talk to our Father. We don't have to worship kind of eyes closed, kind of reminding ourselves of God's glory. We will, we will, we will see it. We will be with him forever. That says Paul at the end of our passage, is why, in fact, Jesus died for us, that whether we die or whether we are still alive when Jesus returns, that we might live with him forever. Jesus is coming back. These are the, these are the facts. You know, I feel like there are lot, there's lots that we believe as Christians, but the return of Jesus, it's a load-bearing <laughs> It's a load-bearing wall. It's a load-bearing... If you're an engineer, there are like parts of a house that you can knock through, and there are parts of the house you can't, because if you knock it down, the whole house comes down. This is one of those. It's a load-bearing truth. Jesus is coming back. And Paul thinks that is so, so good. He is so excited about it. Twice he says to them, encourage each other with these truths. He says to them, put this hope on your head like a helmet, armor for your minds. And so I just want to end by just drawing the threads together and, 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 and saying, why, why is this good news? Why does it bring us hope? Three little reasons why we can have hope. It brings us hope. Jesus' return brings us hope because it means that this isn't all there is to life. This isn't all there is to life. You know, if you are waiting for life to go well for you, if you're waiting for life to work out and it's just not happening, maybe it's been uh, missed opportunities that you, you think you'll never get back, maybe, you, maybe it's uh, relationships, maybe uh, it, it's getting older, maybe it's uh, ill health, whatever it is. Maybe if you're someone who's sitting and, you, and you're saying every day just seems like a missed opportunity that I'm never going to get back, when is it going to work out for me? Surely there's more to life than this. There is. Maybe you're on the other end of the scale and you're like, you know what? Life's going great for me. I'm winning. You know, I, you know, I seem to be doing well. I, I'm getting the grades. I'm, I've got the career. I've got family, whatever it might be. That, and, and, and you're still asking the question, surely there's more to life than this. Is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Is this as many colors as there are? Is, is, this as, you know, is there not more meaning, more life, more vitality? than this, you're right, there is. If, you're, if you find it hard in your relationship with God, and all of us do at times, if you're sort of thinking, you know, okay, you know, I pray, but sometimes it feels like I'm in the presence of God, and other times it feels like I'm in a concrete cell, and just everything's bouncing off, and I'm not sure whether God's there. If you feel like your, 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 your relationship with God is ups and downs and times when it's easy to feel your God, know your love by God and other times, you're not, and you're like, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? No, this isn't all there is to life. 
We were made for something better. We were made for an eternity with our Father. And what he's done in the world, what he's doing in this world and in our lives, it isn't finished yet. In fact, it's barely begun. There's so much more ahead of us on the horizon. That brings us hope. We can also have hope because we we know that in light of Jesus' return, evil doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. Whether it be environmental collapse all around us, which is so obvious, whether it be intractable injustice or corruption that we just seem, doesn't matter how we seem to reorganize ourselves, it just seems to be possible to get rid of it. Whether it be personal catastrophe that's just, that's scarred us and we think, will I ever get over this? Whether it be things in our own lives, sins or brokenness, where we just feel, am I ever gonna escape this? It is good to know that these things don't have the last word in our world or in our lives. They don't. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for justice and for righteousness will be filled when Jesus returns. Let me be clear, this does not absolve us of our responsibility in any way to do our part now. God has called us to live in light of his justice and to work for it in this world. And if anything, actually, this spurs us on. But hope arises when we realize that the buck doesn't finally stop with us. You know, the extent of God's justice is not limited to what we can do. The beam that that has to be lifted doesn't finally rest only on our backs. The burden of ridding the world of, of injustice and of healing the scars in people's lives, it doesn't finally rest on us. We can't carry that. God will do what we can't do. He will finish what we can't finish. And actually, what we do now, we do in faithfulness to him, but also pointing to what he will one day do. Prophetically, standing in this world, reminding ourselves and a world in despair that one day there will be a sovereign inbreaking of God by his almighty power, and he will set things right. We don't need to despair. We can have hope because evil doesn't win and finally hope arises and I think courage arises when we realize that we can't lose what do I mean by that there's so much in life we can lose but with if we really take hold of what Jesus has promised us here in his return it's like At bottom, if everything else gets taken away, if everything else good gets taken away, the foundation is sure. Right at the bottom stands firm a hope that can't be removed from us in this life. And it's like we know we can't lose, however bad it gets, however costly it is. And I want to come back to where we began with that analogy of the players in Jumanji. You know, when all they could see was that that they had one life in front of them and there was nothing beyond that, they became afraid. They retreated from living life with abandon. They retreated from the risks and the costs of playing to win. And the irony is that they nearly lost because of it. And we too will retreat from living wholeheartedly 
for Jesus simply because of the cost if this life is all there is. So much of the Christian life only makes sense in light of a much deeper, much fuller hope that comes at Jesus' return. Seek God in the secret place that no one else sees. Fast and don't tell anyone. Serve when no one else is looking. Give to those who can't give back. Care for those no one else cares for and they won't care for you. Forgive those who don't deserve forgiving. Live to please God even when it's really uncomfortable and unpopular. Declare God's praises in a world that will kill you for it. Lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, says Jesus. That is what playing to win looks like in this life, as Jesus describes it. You can't do that if you're afraid. You can't do that if you think this is it. To be like Jesus and throw our lives at the service of others, throw our lives at the service of God, to live life with abandon, to play to win, we have to have the same trust that Jesus had, that his father would raise him, that he would see, he would see the other side. Only if we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, as, as Paul puts, only if we know, as Peter writes, that we have an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade, only if we're banking on Jesus' return and the justice that will come, the reward that will come, his presence that will come, will we be free enough to live the life that he's called us to? So let's encourage each other. As Paul says, encourage each other with these words. Let's not let this leave our minds. Let's talk about it in our small groups. When someone's struggling, let's remind them of this truth of Jesus' return. When we are thinking, oh man, this is costly, bring to mind right on your mirror these truths. Jesus is coming back. That's what makes sense of this. Let's encourage each other with these words. And let's put this truth on like a helmet, this hope like a helmet that guards our minds and sets us free, as he says here, to continue doing good as in fact you are already doing. Let's pray, and then we'll move on to the prayers. Lord, we thank you that you are good, and the hope that you hold out for us is good. And you didn't leave us ignorant about the future. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you spoke to us about your return. You promised that you would come back to finish what you've started in our lives and in this world. And Lord, you haven't, you haven't been unfaithful in anything else you've said. Everything else you promised, you've delivered on. And we are trusting in you that you will come back. Lord, would, would, you, would, you make, would you make this truth something that dominates our horizon? Would you help us to keep it in mind and draw strength from it? That we would have the courage to live the life that you've called us to. Amen.